yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. There it is. I hit recording, and it is recording. Hello, everyone. Listen to my voice out there on the internet. Hey, <laughs> I've got a great guest today. I can't wait to introduce you to her. She's a marketing leader and a coach. So a lot of the things you're going to hear today, if you like it, maybe you work with her. and She'll teach you these things, coach you through. We're going to talk more about that. But she has been named as um, best-in-class marketers, top 50 from Capost, winner of the top female ABM leader. We will definitely get her thoughts on the ABM today, uh, as well as... Uh, they're just best practices, marketing technology and best practices into it. Uh, Masha Finkelstein, welcome to the show. Thank you. Man, you're busy. You know, yep. I'm not really sitting around these days, even though I am literally sitting in one place, as right. all of us are. Right. And before we go anywhere, you got to tell everyone about your background. I, I saw this, in, for those listening, check out YouTube at some point, because... Um, uh, the background is this amazing like outside patio with all the walls are windows and they're open to this luscious green garden and it's a background but but tell tell me what you had shared this morning about it yeah you know actually it's it's one of the most clever COVID related marketing campaigns i've seen that airbnb did um a couple of months ago i got an email from airbnb saying hey we know you're stuck at home and can't travel right now, well, here are some virtual backgrounds for your Zoom meetings right. of actual Airbnb destinations. And I, of course, downloaded all of them, and now I use them, and I'm very much used to those lovely destinations. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't wait to go there. So go Airbnb. Yeah, what a brilliant campaign, because, right, you've been working there. So with that background, it's like you've been there, but not really. And when you went to get a drink of water, I saw you sort of disappear and you actually walked out the same way that the door is open on your background. So it's <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, I could see you totally wanting, I want to go there now. And I've just been looking at it for like five minutes. What am I going to exactly. be feeling after an hour, hour and change staring at this background? I want to, where, do you know where this one's at? The one right now? Does it tell you? It tells you in, in the email and in the okay. website, but yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. Like they're, they're all over the world actually. But like, I, I think I would want to specifically go to like the right. one that I've been in, in the background. Like exactly. Sign me up yep. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Brilliant to just make use of those backgrounds. And then now I'm talking about it. They've got their logo on the picture. So they're getting mm -hmm. a free advertisement in the hardcore marketing show. It's great. It's brilliant to your point. Exactly. All right. Well, hey, let's start the show off. The way we do this is by, well, let me pass you this thing real quick. It's heavy. Ugh. Okay, here you go. This is Thor's hammer. Got it? Mm -hmm. Oh, look at that. You just, yeah, you just grabbed that thing. It's awesome. Didn't even need an introduction. You're just like, oh, recognized it. Smash that thing um, on top of some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Just set the record straight once and for all. All right. So since I do love talking about ABM, we can start there. Yes. One of the biggest misconceptions I see around account-based marketing is that it's only applicable if you go after large enterprises. Okay. And it's a myth, let me tell you, from personal experience. 
you can use account-based marketing principles to target smaller businesses, mid-sized small businesses. Interesting. Absolutely, you can. So just, that, that helps if you're if you don't sell to big companies or just exactly yeah. like if you're if you're a primary target audience as mid market or SMBs, you can still use account based marketing methods to to advertise to them to speak to them. Got it. Why do you think people have this misconception? Like where does that come from? And what mm -hmm. are they? What's going on in their heads when they're, they're getting this wrong? Yeah. Well. The way that account-based marketing evolved, I think, has to do with it, where it's like, oh, we have these key accounts, and oftentimes the key accounts are the larger accounts, right? The big brand names that everybody wants as their case studies. Right. So traditionally or historically, um, when people hear key accounts, they immediately go into this like, oh, they, they that must be really large organizations that everybody knows. Mm. but key accounts are actually not necessarily uh, huge, right? It depends what your ideal customer profile is. Mm -hmm. for, for somebody, it could be a, very much a small business or, or a mid-sized org. They might not need, you know, your products if they are larger, in fact. Right. Got it. So key is whatever it is for you, and it doesn't like, it's like, just because you don't sell that to that range, it doesn't mean, oh, you can't do ABM. Go back to doing the same terrible mass marketing you've been doing. What, what are the core elements that make it possible that you can go after enterprise? You can go after mid-market. It doesn't matter. And it sounds like there's some, it's, it's really the strategy of ABM that is what can apply to everyone. So what, what is that really? Mm -hmm. There are a few things. Uh, the biggest challenge with any kind of ABM strategies, probably having the data to know information about your accounts and being able to map contacts and leads to those accounts, because mm. you want to track everything at account level. With, uh, with more traditional scale campaigns, it's not as critically important to track at account level, but when you are actually communicating with accounts, you've got to be able to see everything in one place. Like right. if a lead comes in, you want to know immediately that there are other contacts in your system already that have interacted from the same account with your teams. So data uh, is crucial and the ability to map leads and contacts to the accounts and all the marketing touches and interactions, being able to see them at account level. Yeah, that full picture, right? Because if something comes in and, and there's several people on the team, I, I guess that, I mean, that's the question. Are there several people on the team in mm -hmm. mid-market? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. probably, right? Um, right, exactly. And that will vary as well. It depends on your True. product and your company and, and your target company. And True. it's uh, decision-maker committees, they tend to range from one to something like 25 people okay. uh, yeah. for different size orgs. But for smaller and mid-sized businesses, it, it might still be 10, right? Depending right. what you're selling and how complex the product is. What if you're selling to an SMB, your small company, and there's only one person there? Mm -hmm. Does mm -hmm. ABM still matter? Does it still apply? It still applies. Okay. So the way that I think about small businesses and using account-based marketing there is you think of segments of small businesses just, just like you would think about one large account. So you come up with your segment 
of SMBs and then hyper-personalize your messaging and marketing to those segments, just like you would with large enterprise accounts, do it per account. Got it. So you can kind of wrap a bunch of them all up together mm -hmm. as your as your one to few, as your right. industry target or whatnot. Do exactly. you still do one-to-one -one with when you're an SMB, when you're a small company, can you still do that sort of that also depends of what company and product you have. Like, for yeah. example, if you're selling in a local market, sure, you can hand deliver something door right. to door, right? <laughs> yeah. Hell cookies. Well, maybe not in, in, in the shelter and place. COVID cookies. <laughs> COVID cookies. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, COVID vaccines. I don't know. Uh, but right. yeah. Some, hey, we're here with some vaccines for you guys. Oh, thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Roll yeah, your sleeve. Here's a free antibody test. We'll right. throw it in there yeah. if you buy it. <laughs> you think people have done that? That'd be, that'd be kind of weird as a business to be yeah. like rolling up on your company. Hey, we got your COVID tests over here. Like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a know, little maybe borderline ethical, yeah, it's borderline. probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Vaccine. Sure. Some yeah. random vendor swings by with a vaccine. I'm like, ah, I'm not really sure I'm going to stick that on my arm. I'm yeah, not really sure. but maybe not the COVID vaccine, but you could apply those types yeah. of things uh, to smaller businesses. And you're absolutely right. There's different ways to do ABM, right? There's one-to-one -one and one-to-few and one-to-many and few-to-few, right. -few, uh, if you wish, yeah. but uh, all kinds of ways. What do you think people get wrong about this? Um, any common mistakes, right? So for sure, they're like, okay, I, you can do this for any size company. But then when it comes to the application of it, actually doing ABM, do, mm -hmm. do people, I mean, do they just still do their old stuff and call it ABM? Or what kind of mistakes do you see people make? Um, first of all, they have a block usually yeah, which is fear block like oh, block. they okay. feel yeah they feel blocked uh, because of fear of uh, not knowing how to start or not believing that it will work or not having enough data to know whether it is working when they start um, and yeah I think they, they also kind of um, veer on the side of calling regular scaled approach ABM rather than the other way around, you know, right. uh, like, oh, yeah, we are doing ABM because we we are going after accounts. So what that they're not prioritized or so what we didn't use predictive scoring to come up with our list of accounts, we just picked them out of the sky and right. Right. And like we are doing ABM because we have accounts and we're going after them. Right. But, oh, right. Uh, just because you have yeah. accounts doesn't mean you're doing ABM. Exactly. Yeah. If you just have accounts, it's not you can't call that ABM. If you have thought about the accounts you are going after, if you used some kind of AI maybe to distill the accounts yeah. um, and figure out actually what who would be a perfect customer for you, mm -hmm. then yeah, you can start calling that ABM, sure. Got it, got it. Have you, have you used any of those? Like how does, does AI play into any of the things you do these days? Yeah, so you we, hear a lot of talk about it. I don't know if it's like really come into its own yet. Right. Well, think of all the predictive scoring vendors. I've definitely used a, a sure. whole bunch of them in the past. But what it does essentially for account selection is they take your data, ingest it, look at all the signals out there, yes. um, and and figure out the right mix of signals that would indicate 
that somebody is a customer of yours, then they use those signals to find all the other companies that have them that would then be ideal customers for you. It's very right. simple when you think about it, but um, not a lot of people do it. And I think they're missing out. Like oftentimes sales pick accounts based on their past experience or connections or, oh, I know the, this guy, this big company and we want big companies. So I'm gonna go and sell into that company. So let's market to just that company. But right. that doesn't mean that they're gonna be a perfect customer. No, no, it doesn't. Right. Um, so you're saying you do need some of these other sources, the other things to feed your, your, your selection of that ICP. You can't just pick your mm -hmm. ideal customer out of the wind. Right. And not only demographic information, you also need to know who, have, who is actually actively in the market yeah. with intent, right? Right. So then once you have the predictive scoring models built out using some kind of machine learning AI predictive scoring vendor, then you need to know of those companies that are your ideal customer, who is actually ready to buy. Because you don't want to sell when they're not ready. You don't want to sell when they're, you know, just finished their budget planning for the next five years. And the way to know it is by tracking those intent signals across channels and everywhere. Interesting. Um, do you use that? Have you used the intent? data do you have a, mm -hmm. do you have a particular vendor you like for that uh there's a lot of vendors that work with bambora for example okay. um bambora actually now has a free product on their site where you can sign up for a few keywords to monitor just for smaller businesses out there check it out what um, is bambora why do i not know about this some 10 data vendor you probably don't know because they work with other companies like they power um, they provide their data to another marketing ABM platform type companies and you uh, work with those like for example Terminus or Lattice engines or, or something like that. Oh got it so they're they're now would you work with them or you would still go and work with one of their people they provide data to you could work it with depends. them it, it depends on who you are and how large your budget is oh, if gosh. you have uh, if you have budget uh, for an ABM scaled effort set aside, I would say go to like an ABM vendor or look at a platform or like a feature set to add to your current yeah. stack. Um, if you are small and lean and want to hack uh, growth marketing, then go sign up for all kinds of free things like signals from Bambora website or, right. you know, um, you can find a lot of things like that. It's not too crazy either. I just looked at the pricing page. It's like starts at 22 annually so yeah yeah mm. and that's what i'm saying like depending on the budget you can just get the intent data from bambora or you can work with a larger vendor like uh for example like a dun and bread street or somebody right who then would use someone like bambora i don't know if they actually use bambora or another um company for for their intent data but yeah that's a different way you can do okay. it okay yeah it seems like a whole whole different world do you have a do you have a best practice for that? What's like your sweet mark marketing stack for the intent side? Um, I, I'm not going to share what we have in house, but I'll uh, give you a couple of cool, ideas. I'll just go look it up on the website anyways. Right. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah go exactly. Look at care later. <laughs> right. Yeah, do you, I mean, you, you, you have some favorites. So you're like, go get, get one of the other vendors. Yeah. Do you, do you like, do you like getting the source data too directly or? 
what, what's the best way to approach that? Because I know that there's so many things out there. Maybe you even have advice on the best way to shop these guys. Mm-hmm. So I actually do like signing up for, for free keyword alerts, whether it's Bambora or even on Google or even LinkedIn, uh, just so I get an email with some indication of keep my keywords popping up. Right. And then I just see the context and see if I need to dig deep, deeper or not. But that's kind of a separate uh, staying on top of it um, trick that I do. And simultaneously, I do like working with ABM platforms like uh, Sixth Sense, for example. I think they use Bambora data as well. Uh, okay. Terminus, great company. Love them. Do you have a they favorite? Use... Can I get a favorite? Uh, <laughs> they're, they're different. And They're it also okay. depends. Yeah. And it also depends on the size of your org That's that you're true. working with. A lot of that depends. Right. And then like if, um, if you have Marketo, you could get their ABM suite and, and that could be perfect and enough uh, for yeah. you. Right. So it really, really depends on your needs. It, depending on what you're trying to do, you might need more or less features or specific things about intent data or not even using intent data potentially maybe your your target audience is evergreen and they always are in the buying cycle right 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 interesting interesting cool you kind of you got me onto a, a new topic there and that you know question for you um any tips like when people do go shopping for technology any recommendations on the things you want to look look for or the way you approach that um and then you know, and then also how do you keep your soul not just think that tech is going to solve all your problems for you magically do you have a certain way of approaching all that mm -hmm. um i do and that always starts with people it's when you go after tools and your tools usually you're trying to solve some problem that some that somebody has whether it's you or somebody on the team yeah um so before uh, going headfirst into buying something new to to solve that I try to really understand what the pain points are that people are experiencing across across the board whether it's marketing or sales or customer success just talk to people see how they're feeling what's working well what's not and one of my favorite things to ask that usually ends up being the most enlightening question is if you had a magic wand what would you change about how you do your day-to-day -day job and right. that question magic magic one yeah exactly and this question gets to the bottom of really deep pain points and then if you start digging into those like oh i wish i had a better bid management system like well what does it actually mean what are you talking about right and they're like well because because when we when we place when we use this x vendor or this x platform we don't have visibility into data i'm like oh so it's actually not about the bid management it's about the access to analytics or self-service dashboards of some sort they're like oh yeah you're right i'm like okay great what if what about this tool that we actually have have you tried right. using that right so things come up like in the end it might uh it might become that you don't need to buy more vendors it, uh, it's, it's yeah, you may have the capability already exactly you may Maximize have the capability the have. Mm -hmm. totally got it yeah, I think there's another myth um, around ABM that kind of came up earlier. I wonder if you could touch on this. The idea of I'm a tiny company. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't have the resources or the time or 
capability or people to be able to do ABM. And not only is it ABM for a big target company, but which you smashed, but can I, as like a tiny little mini company, can I go, can I still do ABM? What, what's your right. take on that? Yeah. So for fun, I like advising tiny companies. Nice. Uh, <laughs> it's all relative anyways, but yeah. Right. Right. About specifically account-based marketing, generally growth strategies, but um, definitely that's a myth. Okay. You, the way you think about it, um, when you're a tiny company, it becomes even more important to prioritize how you spend your budget because yeah. you don't have a lot of it, right? So why would you waste money on targeting companies that are not relevant for you or who wouldn't buy? So you have to become really, really crystal clear about account selection and segmentation and personalization to those accounts to make sure that they see you in mm. all of the other giant competitors of yours potentially that that are all beating on the same keywords or competing on the same ad space as with you so you've got to focus more than ever when you're small the smaller you are you don't yeah. have room to make a bad hire or make a gigantic bad mistake on targeting or on lead source. you got to really be calculated so um any tips like if you had like top three tips on how what things you advise the smaller companies for those listening that have the smaller companies or smaller team, you know, what kind of things they should do. Mm -hmm. If they don't have internal expertise on how to approach this, yeah. uh, outsource. Okay. And you don't need a full-time ABM person to get started. You just need okay. somebody who you can, you can come to for, uh, for advice when you need it, who can then steer your existing marketing team to what to focus on next. Yeah. That's one. Like, don't be afraid to outsource this because it, it is a very special skill set um, in how you do it. And if you get it right as you get started, then you'll be way better off financially uh, with less budget wasted on things you don't want it to be wasted on. <laughs> so yeah. that's one. Um, two is don't be afraid to take risks as you get started because you don't have historic data at that point and you can't logically make all the decisions in a very calculated right. way right right so i would even say set aside budget for trying out of the box kind of campaigns and the chunk of budget you set aside for that could be big like it could be like up to 50 percent of your marketing budget because if something that is completely out of whack you just go for it and then it turns out to have 10x ROI, <laughs> right? Yeah. True story that happened before. You, then you're way better off. And people don't do it because they're like, well, we can't waste any money on these risky things because we are especially like, startup. How, yeah. how did it go down? What kind of a test was it? Uh, it was back in the day when I was uh, focused on display um, mm -hmm. marketing for online education. And we were testing a lot of different creative concepts. And one of the ideas was like, well, how about we put like a child with a black eye on an ad and um, advertise nursing degrees online. Um, we were doing a lot of online education degrees. Ads, oh, and see. so like people that really want to care and they want to help. Exactly. So it was like, well, that's like also borderline ethical, but this was also before any kind of, um, 
ethical compliance was a was a huge right. deal on so the internet like clipboard <laughs> out there with like kids with black eyes like how do yeah. they do that i almost don't even know how they get the kids like that well yeah i'm sure it's photoshop but uh, okay. uh, yeah yeah but still it was like ugh. You, hey do buddy you want uh, to... dad's gotta take a photo today <sighs> yeah exactly like do you really want your company associated with a kid with a black eye right. maybe you know but, yeah Right. So, but, bike, it, could, yeah. So you get a little yeah. or something. Yeah, and it was a big risk. Big risk, yeah. And uh, we were like, well, we have to know quickly. Right. So <laughs> we set aside a big chunk of budget towards that ad specifically. Okay. And it like literally 10x outperformed everything else we had. Really? So people were just clicking on it left and right. Exactly. Not only clicking, we were tracking full funnel conversion. So they were really? signing up. Yeah clicking and signing up more than other ads. And we're like, whoa, okay, that's interesting. So you tracked it all the way to, now signing up, was that like the landing page or do you get them all the way up to, did they they give money? Could you track it to revenue back in the day like that? No. Or was it yeah, it was just through the landing page. But okay. when you sign up at the landing page, then it's off, um, it was off our hands. We were kind of like a syndicator type company where we would give it to the online institutions to follow up with so we couldn't track it from there got it but i'm sure that was some crazy result so you really it was a risk and mm -hmm. were there some internal discussions when you were trying to get the budget for it and people you know let's mm -hmm. let's spend a dollar on it like, no no we need to have a serious test but do it mm -hmm. to your point the more you spend sooner the faster you can get some numbers on it and don't don't drag this out over 12 months let's find out really quick what'd you do after that once you got the successful stats back did you start putting all sorts of bruised children on all your ads? <laughs> well, then we were like, oh, okay, this worked. Interesting. So we tried to set up multivariate tests that would test exactly what was it about the ad? Was it the black eye or the child or the sad face or, you know, so we just like tested for different things oh. specifically that were in there altogether. And we came up with an ad that didn't have a child with a black eye, but worked just as efficiently based on those bunch what of What was it then? Because that's cool. Because I, I could see like doing the exact same ad, but you just Photoshop the image to not have a bruised face. Yeah, yeah. Exact same ad with the bruised face, but maybe a different call to action or a different value prop. What was the magic of the particular ad when you... Yeah, for that specific one, it was interesting because we, uh, we ended up adding like a, a mom uh, in, in there and the sad face without the black... I with a mom next to the child kind of worked really well. <laughs> yeah. Was the mom in the first one? No. So it was part yeah. of the test. Okay, so, but yeah, so it's like just the child with a black eye, child with mom with the black eye, child without the black eye with the mom without the mom. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the one with the mom without the black eye worked the best. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, and what was it, uh, did you, when you tested, were you able to test the, the rest of it, but could you figure out what about the original ad, since it wasn't the black eye, what, do you know what it was that caused it to be such a 10x success? You know, unfortunately with those things, it's more of an art than a science yeah. oftentimes. And it's really hard to get that granular yeah. with the data to point out specifically what it was. Like before that ad, we did a lot of animated images 
maybe it was the fact that it was a real human and a, yeah. an emotional one with a child, right. you know. We tested people before and they always lost to the animated characters. But in that specific case, really? yeah, but that was, you know, 2005-ish sure. I'm talking. Yeah. yeah so now things have changed. People don't notice people on, on the web anymore um, or barely notice. Cause there's what do they notice? Good question. Movement. They notice movement. Mm -hmm. So video ads, any kind of short clips, animated gifs yeah. and whatnot yeah it's just a solid static display ad out the door at this point people still click surprisingly mm -hmm. every time i look at the stats i'm like, wow really still <laughs> <laughs> stop clicking already <laughs> yeah. yeah but people click just the percentages have definitely gone down right. a lot in in the last decade oh huh. interesting yeah i love i love the art part to that you know where you just you're not mm -hmm. really quite sure why something's working. Try it out. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Lot the idea of testing and just but getting results. That's fun, right? When you see like, yeah. oh my gosh, like this is this is crazy. What's going on here? And you try to distill down why it is and make more of it. That's that's really the fun part. The the mad scientist part of marketing that I really like. Yeah, it's my favorite part too. Yeah. Any other crazy experiments come to mind? Mm -hmm. Crazy experiments. Mm. Maybe I threw it off. Direct, direct mail campaign uh, sending out uh, laptops. Really? Mm -hmm. Direct mail. Was, this had to be ABM because you can't send everybody a laptop. Yes, exactly. But the, the fun part that comes to mind is we did this campaign, very small, very targeted test. Yeah. Um, to our target accounts based on it was kind of, we were kind of going after smaller businesses at that time so it was based on um, company size we sent laptops to executives okay. with specific titles like ceo cto and cio i think it was wow. within those smaller companies and it was just a test to see how we convert you know convert and um all of a sudden my my friend uh calls me and he's like dude i just got a laptop from your company <laughs> <laughs> i'm like huh what what <laughs> and he was uh i think he was working like an engineer at facebook okay i was like this is really strange because we definitely didn't target engineers at facebook right right but uh, what happened is he had like a side kid type project where he had a whole company on LinkedIn where it was just him and his friend and he was the CTO and he the was friend the was CTO. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the CEO or something. <laughs> and we apparently uh, targeted them with laptops. Wow. So yeah. maybe not your friend getting one, but do you know if the results? Uh... The results were actually really good. Like that campaign worked and, and since then we've scaled. What kind of laptops approach. were they? Chromebooks. They're Chromebooks. Okay. See, I would pretty, I'd be pretty stoked if it was like a MacBook Air. I'd be like, yeah, I like it. Thank you. But yeah. you definitely get people's attention. You know, right. I think I received root beer one time. Yeah. It was like, we can't send you a beer, so we're sending you root beer. I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, but apparently it was a really rough campaign. I, I later talked to the marker who did it because mm -hmm. half the root beers would break and travel and transit. And then they would be shipped back 
to the sender and you'd have to pay for the return shipping and then all the breakage and so apparently it was not easy sending glass bottles Um, (laughs) i would imagine imagine. they're not they mean they're not really careful with mail as it goes through the system like (laughs) but yeah there's all sorts of different kind of tricks and that whole laptop was it so chromebooks what are those like um it's less than a thousand though right it's kind of it's not cheap but it's like well it depends on on what kind you get um Like the top of the line is, is Pixelbook right now, or maybe it's late. Um, but yeah, top of the line ones are comparable to MacBook Air in pricing. But yeah, yeah, the Pixelbook. more yeah, the more standard ones are um, a few hundred bucks. Like the ones that kids use in schools are maybe two three hundred. And Got it. and that's not and, bad if the, you know cost acquisition. Exactly. If you're getting, I mean, what would what kind of what was the math and it would be like you'd get an account for 10 grand or a hundred grand and then you know what is 300 400 500 if you get that kind of a return exactly and the conversion rates were were through the roof with that because oh because the campaign was something like um if you basically sign up for a call with a rep then we'll send you the laptop for free okay. so it's a demo call, right? So okay, so there was one step before they didn't just add yeah, a yeah. blue again. Right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah, so they did sign up for for the demo, and uh, people are like, "Oh, I'm gonna get a laptop if I sit through half hour of a demo of some random thing." Yeah. And uh, I would do that in a heartbeat. Exactly. So it was like almost everybody signed up for the demo, right? And wow. then when they actually see the demo, they're like, "Oh, we could actually use this." So you can imagine the conversion rate. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I, and I guess targeting would make a lot of sense right here because I think everyone would say yes. And that could be a problem too. I, I mean, right. think about like trade shows where there's a really cute stuffed animal. I'm signing up. Here's my badge. It's from my kid. I don't even know exactly. what your thing is. I don't even care, but I'm going right. to say yes. Yeah. Um, so I, it's interesting. But if you, if you picked and you you talked about targeting the segmentation, you picked all the right people then and you know it's going to be a yes. And that just yes. gets your sales team in that bat. And it's worth mm-hmm. paying lots of money for that. Totally. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Unfortunately, direct mail probably is dying as a channel as we speak. But... I think so. Just because um, of the contamination concept. Like, just because people are not in their offices. Where are you going to send stuff? You don't know where they live. That's a great point. You'd have yeah. to have a middle step like you talked about where it was mm-hmm. like, take this demo. And then you give us your address and then we'll send you a tchotchke. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I have a feeling that that not many people are going to volunteer their home addresses to get right. something. Right. These days. We, we but do something I, um, like that. Um, yeah. On our side, we have this thing where people with marketing automation, um, you hop on a call with us for like 25 minutes. We go through some questions to help you figure out where you were at in this roadmap. You mm-hmm. get a score between zero and 10. And that, that, and it's like, cool. It's like, okay, you're a two out of 10, but your next step is number three. Go for that. And like, it's a really cool little conversation. It's not really yeah. salesy at all. And if they do that, then we send them a copy of my book. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of a, a cool thing. They give us their quarantine address afterward mm. to send to you. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's got to be very valuable to them. Like they're not going to give you an address for a pair of socks. That's what I'm saying. Um, see what I, uh, it depends on what kind of socks. If it's like nice, that's <laughs> true. That's true. All the biz dev guys out there listening to the show send them over uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes yes correct but socks it's, can it be talk- actually pretty cool it yeah. would be, like some like really nice uh, hiking socks um because those get kind of pricey 
it's weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, you made me think of something. Uh, direct mail is, is dying probably as a channel, or at least it's scaling down for sure. But the e-gifts um, are probably going to go way up. Like, oh, here's a coffee gift card for you or hey here's a, an amazon right um oh card. the ones you can send a link or send credit yeah yeah, yeah exactly add this yeah. to your starbucks account mm -hmm. that kind of thing knowing that people are probably going out on their own you don't yeah. need their home address for the physical thing no um you know what salesforce did recently very nice of them mm -hmm. they said you know thank you for being a marketing champion or you know thank you just being you and yep. smiley face and then they're like we can send you one of these cool things, but you can pick. And so there was like a travel themed box of goodies and there was a, a wellness, health and wellness one. And then with like yoga mat and candle and this and that, there was a cooking one with different kinds of salts and spices and one of those little racks that holds a cookbook. So it was like, oh, you get to pick and choose and, and, and then you would put your own address into that thing. Um, not as direct, I think it's more of a thank you, but I, to your point, you want kind of an intermediate step to be able to know they're the right ones to talk to and then you can offer them that thing. Right, yeah. With an inter intermediate step, it makes more sense. Would you, um, would you do a laptop thing again? Would you do anything like that, you think? Uh, well, it depends where I end up being, right? If, yeah. it, if it helps, if the ROI is there, then why not? I would test it again for sure. Right. Yeah. It's a good question. And you kind of get in the mind of your buyer to figure out what they may like. It's mm -hmm. not to be hard. Uh, a friend of mine was asking, you know, what kind of a gift can I give um, one of my clients? And she was in the HR business. And so I think her clients were HR or maybe they were CTOs. I'm not sure, but it, all of my friends and I were like throwing ideas at her like, Oh, get her this or get her that, or this, this gift basket. It's a spa in a box. And, or this per you can get actually a personalized bobblehead of someone's face, which is interesting. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, it's, but it's like, hmm, what will people like universally? But I guess that's in the in the one to few category of like, yeah, setting up something universal. Maybe for the one to one, you actually get them something that you know you stalked them on Facebook or something. You figured out they like this thing, and you send it to them. You know what I think generally works really well right now is yeah. is deriving social good from yeah. from whatever you end up doing um so if you're thinking of what to give or what to send or what to use in direct mail or even in electronic mail campaign um if you say hey we're gonna give you a gift certificate to help your local business of your choice whatever it is or we're gonna not send you a starbucks gift card but we'll send you this mom and pop shop gift card that's like in your zip code um, to help them through this difficult time because a lot of the small businesses are impacted and if you can bring those in not only you're appealing to your prospects and customers sense of trying to be good right but also you're actually helping them true you right? are actually helping yeah yeah and I think connecting the small businesses with the with the sense of um, trying to help within yourself and the customer can be really life-changing. Absolutely. And to your point, it actually does help. When you first mentioned mm -hmm. the, the social good, I was wondering if you're going to go there because I've also gotten something that says, hey, we want to send you a gift. And, and the only options were donating to one of five charities. And mm. 
mm-hmm. and it was like that's cool but you know like I have my own charity that I support and really more passionate about so I'm not as passionate about these other ones I don't know if they're good or not and I want to be responsible and and check them out you know but I don't have time to check them out so it was it was a little different not that I always want something sent to my house or free coffee I like helping people out but it was just it kind of I don't know it felt like ooh, I I need to look at them to really evaluate I don't know which one you know I've never seen these before uh, they weren't just like the ones you've heard of right. so it's like hmm do I just click and just do that and then why are they doing it that way it was, it was just kind of there's more questions than it's almost like more friction in the process than you'd expect mm-hmm. um, for that as opposed to just to your point hey there's a local you know business you know the local sandwich shop or the local whoever yeah. we're gonna help them out give them a little influx of cash because we know they're all struggling right and if you put a picture of the owner or something and share their personal story then people can yeah. connect to them even deeper and yeah it helps you I wonder if you, you could do that, you know, some big company into it or something, some big company that uh, <laughs> do that by region. So dynamically drop in the shop owner and their story <laughs> and support them the, across hundreds of communities. That'd be a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we do a lot with, uh, we work a lot with small businesses and we are trying to help them as much as we can right now. Totally. And there's all kinds of things that the Intuit does, which are great. Like, we had this tradition of doing uh, pop-ups where some small business would come visit us on site and showcase their products and people could buy, just the employees could buy whatever from them oh, at the oh, in site. But we keep doing that. We just do it virtually now. We have virtual pop-ups where small businesses show their products and how their business was impacted and share their stories and what they've been doing. And with the scale of, uh, of Intuit, of course, it helps to even just show it to employees. But think about doing that at like showing it to your prospects and all of your customers and showcasing businesses that way. And it could be huge. Yeah, it really could. Mm-hmm. Where, do you, where do you think all this is going? Like, what's the future? Future of ABM, future of marketing? Yeah. The uh, decline of certain channels and the increase. Right, right. So definitely digital marketing is uh, only going to grow and grow and grow uh account based stuff will also continue to grow because the focus on accounts is still is always going to be important um but some channels will change like events shifting from physical to virtual you know direct mail from mail sends to the offices to potentially electronic or donations or or whatever it is um it's uh yeah digital is probably going to become even more competitive because everybody's online um and shifting to cloud from on-prem um yeah it will it will be very interesting very interesting times are changing things are definitely (laughs) definitely in flux you know they're all it's in change and i think there's a lot of companies that recognize that but other companies are like i just want to hold on to how i've been doing this and keep doing mm-hmm. it the way I've been doing. And I mean, have you seen some companies respond faster and versus slower to change and adoption and they're kind of dragging their feet like, no, take me back to 2019 or, or, or 1990. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we, um, we actually had this um, exercise as one of our offsites that happened uh, when, when shelter in place started where we had a list of, our small business customers and um, we wanted to 
we had some small amount of, of money to spend on their products and we could choose who we we could spend it on and we reviewed their their websites to see how they've adjusted to covid situation and uh what struck me is um, some of the small businesses in fact went out of their way to do it we'll do free shipping for you we now started offering masks you know we are working with xyz company to make it easier for you to get to us or to our products or whatever it is while others have done nothing um and the ones that have done nothing oftentimes are the ones that actually would be impacted first like for example a spa right a spa that has uh some kind of skincare line right you have to go immediately and and put all of your skincare online so people could actually buy it otherwise how are you going to survive because nobody's going to come in right no one is yeah yeah like start start a blog and share content and tips on on relaxation or massage or or whatever it is that you you can teach people right, right? and uh, the ones that are not doing that yet i hope by now most people are doing that but if they're not they probably already are dead yeah it, it's one of those things where um you're gonna suspend an account but i think what, what we'll see is just people slowly going back to it whether or not your state is going all in or not or whatever the case people have their own individual feelings and some will go early but i think mm -hmm. the bulk of us will be a little bit late and then a lot of people will be way late you know toward the end of the year so you have to adjust to your point adjust yeah. to the digital side people being remote but there's pain there's still customer pain points they, they're at a different location maybe they have new pain like you can't collaborate anymore in person you have to do it on at, online and is there things we can help with that there, there's all sorts of different angles you can take for sure Mm -hmm. crazy well i'm curious who are you how did you become i i know what you studied and you didn't study marketing in school but take us back how did you become this like marketing i mean you've done so much in so many of these companies and you're really a thought leader i've seen your posts on linkedin um can you take us back in time like little masha days like where did you grow up what did you want to be when you're growing up and all that mm -hmm. sure um i grew up in the middle of Russia, uh, which technically is Siberia, in, no in, in the town called Novosibirsk. And I have an article on Medium about growing up in Siberia, where I debunk a bunch of myths about it. So you should definitely check it out. Um, but I grew up there. I, I, when I was in school, I was dreaming of, of studying psychology, actually. Okay. And uh, in my hometown, the part where I lived was kind of in this more research institutes and science focused part where the university was. And it was a major university, it was like number three in Russia. Oh, wow. So there was no question about where I'm going to go to school. It was that university. Okay. And, and there, um, psychology department was just opening up the year that I started college. And my family basically convinced me that it's brand new. There's lots of therapists out there. It's a very competitive market. So uh, don't do that. Find something that you like, something else that is more established, that will give you more solid career yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, well, okay. Uh, definitely not interested in math or physics or humanities that much, uh, maybe languages, but eh, what kind of career can you get? 
with right. that. So what was left was like chemistry or biology. Uh, <laughs> right. I like, I feel all right like so... Parents all over the world have these conversations with their kids, no matter what country you're in. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It was it was our dinner conversation for probably years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like so, Masha, have you thought about what you're gonna be when you grow up some more? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I ended up what uh, what what I ended up doing was biology. Okay. And I started studying there in uh, in Novosibirsk State University, and then transferred after my second year to UC Santa Cruz, which was kind of a shift, you know, going from Siberia to Santa Cruz. <laughs> yeah, if, what what triggered that? Like, were you were you just applying for other schools while you're at that one school, or? No, what triggered it was my parents actually moved to the U.S. first because oh. my my yeah my my dad got got a job here. He's a software engineer and. So my family was already here and I came to visit them a few times. I, in fact, I went to high school for a little bit here and then went back. Um, but uh, living there without my parents was very different than yeah. living there with my parents where I right. was shielded, right? And um, facing reality of living in Siberia without my family, um, I was like, well, I, I actually don't have to if I don't want to. Right. <laughs> right. So I transferred to Santa Cruz and when I transferred, I already knew that I didn't really like biology, but I was like, well, maybe working at a biotech company is going to be a way cooler than studying right. it. Right. So I went through with it, graduated and went to work at a biotech company or two um, where it was a very cool product and project where we worked on HIV and malaria vaccines and it was all grand and, you know, for humanity's sake. But the day-to-day -day was working with, with live animals and in the lab with no people, with no results. Because when, when you do research, the results may or may not eventually happen in, like, months or years to come, right? And I'm very results-driven, just like you. And um, that was difficult. So... I was like, okay, I don't, I don't think I can stick with it for much longer. <laughs> this is, I mean, that would be like like little bunny rabbits and stuff or mice? Or... Mice, rats, yeah. Okay, I, you don't, I don't know. I, I, it's kind of hard to get like too lovey-dovey with a mouse, I guess. I don't know. But like They're anything, cute. I mean, I know there's Mickey Mouse, but like it's kind of a yeah. stretch. But if it was like a, like a bigger animal, like cute yeah. little furry bunny rabbits and stuff, yeah. that's tough. Like, you know, it's like, you know, on one hand, it's kind of like the food industry, right? And you know, on one hand, you want people to eat, but on the other hand, you're like, maybe you don't want to know that the reason they know this makeup is safe is because they've like done crazy things to test it, or we've solved HIV or something, and we've done it because we've like gone through a bunch of animals, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So it was hard emotionally, but also it just didn't align with me and right. who I am. Right. Were you and in the area too? Were you able to like go back? They're, yeah, they're still in the area. They're, oh, they cool. live in Bay Area. Yeah. Nice. But uh, I had a great manager who saw that I was kind of not super excited about what I was doing. And he was like, you know, yeah. you, should, you should really think about how you can be with people and just get out of the lab and just think about that. And he's like, I can read your palm. And uh, <laughs> that was kind of neat. I was like, oh, okay, where's this coming from? But yeah, sure. And um, he, he's like, yeah, I, I see that, that this, this, you're going to have a career change. This is not for you. And 
uh, let me know if you have any thoughts about what you'd like, what, what you'd like to do and I'll help. And I said, like, well, you know, I, 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 marketing sounds really glamorous, like something creative and with people, right. not in the lab. He's like, yeah, great. I know this guy and who works in business development. Let me introduce you and maybe you can help out. So mm -hmm. he introduced me to this guy um, and I started helping out with projects on the side and my own time with some market research. And that's how my marketing career started. Because then after awesome. that, I had that on the resume and I could, I joined a company that was looking for people specifically who had science background, but also were interested in marketing. So yeah. from there was just smooth sailing. <laughs> That, that makes so much sense though. When you have that technical background, you can, and, but you love people and you love the art side of it. Mm -hmm. It's a great combination because then you can, you can play on both sides. You can understand the technical aspect, mm -hmm. but then really um, speak to the person and the psychology that you wanted to study at the very beginning. You can actually yep. do that. It's like, it's like application of psychology and marketing. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's all coming together. Yeah. It is. It really is. Yeah. And you don't have to be in Siberia to do it. Yeah, exactly. Have or you been back? Nice. Have you gone back to visit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I go every few years. I still have some family there and friends. It, can you describe it? Is it like, I know there's a bunch of myths. We'll have to check out that medium block, but is it like always super cold? How would if you were to describe it as like a part of the U S or Canada? Mm -hmm. what, what kind of. Um, I would say it's like, um, kind of like Minnesota in a way. Got it. You, you get cold winters. I mean, Siberia's colder winters. Um, <laughs> yeah. Snow stays from something like November through April sometimes. Wow. Uh, but the summer is really warm to the point of you can go swimming and uh, sunbathing and whatnot. So summers are um, kind of like Chicago minus the wind. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not very okay. windy. It's not all bad. I can see why you no. want to write about it. Yeah, 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 exactly. There, there's no bears. Uh, <laughs> definitely lots of vodka, but only to those who want it. Right. Uh, you're not required to drink it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's very green. Like, very I grew green. up, yeah, I grew up in, in the woods, basically, oh, among the awesome. trees, which is something I love dearly still, and I try to go to the woods as often as I can. Hundred percent, and even your background has the woods behind it. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, unfortunately, you get to see my orange and white wall, but I get to see your cool background. So yeah, check <laughs> out that Airbnb post. You know. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks, Airbnb, future sponsor mm -hmm. of the show. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, man. I, so and and then now, what are you doing now? So now you're sort of the focal point, and yeah, just describe what you're up to these days. Yeah. So now. Um, I work on the central team at Intuit that um, sort of helps connect the dots among different business segments at Intuit because uh, we have some B2B focused teams and some B2C focused teams and teams with, that work with partners and they each uh, historically have different backgrounds and, and were acquired or developed at different times. So they have their own org structures and their own technology stack. So my focus is specifically technology related. It's for any go-to-market technology, um, best practices and innovation, staying on top of trends and making sure I help all of those different segments solve their pain points around technology, help them connect with each other even, because they are, um, sometimes they end up being pretty siloed in the work that they do. So our team helps them 
connect with okay. each other and as into it to come across as one brand rather than a bunch of separate products. Right. More cohesive and mm -hmm. more unified that way. That, that makes yeah. sense. So that way every message echoes the overall brand too. Right. Kind of lift everybody up at the same time. That's cool. Mm -hmm. um, I have a hypothetical question for you. Mm -hmm. So I may have a time machine in New Hampshire. Nice. It sounds like New Hampshire is kind of like a mild, mild form of Siberia. Mm -hmm, um, definitely. Because uh, have you been up this way, New, New England? No. No, you still I'm, Boston, I have to go. that area? I would love to go. Boston's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, let me know when you come up here. Well, I'll introduce you to people. And man, it's amazing. Lobster. So, uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> sign right? me yeah. up, <laughs> right? Seriously, yeah. that's all I need to say, usually. Yeah, uh, but there's mountains, and it, when you describe the green, that's how I grew up, too. Like, I've yeah. got green around me, though. There's a city I can I can get milk, I don't have to drive maybe an mm -hmm. hour, even, you know, like just right, down the right. street, but it right. feels more green. I haven't gotten rid yeah. of it, which is cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I may have a time machine here, mm -hmm. and if you, you were to use that time machine once COVID's all done and all that, right. um. We'll clean it down uh, yeah. and go back in time to talk to yourself mm -hmm. right after you graduated. Now, it could e either be graduated um, in California or even when you're still in that year, uh, you're, you're still back in Russia. But you could talk to yourself and give yourself advice. What kind of things would you say? When would you go? What point in time do you think you would talk to yourself and what kind of advice would you give yourself? Um, I would definitely go back to my high school self um, and tell myself to really listen to my intuition and not seek acceptance uh, from people around me as much as I did. Right. Acceptance, of course, matters and you want to feel supported and loved and everything, but it cannot come at a cost of not being yourself and following your own intuition. Right. Oh, for sure. It, and I think as much as people, uh, even the ones that care about it, it's like acceptance from people that care about you and as well as it's dangerous to get acceptance from people who don't give a shit about you. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And that's way. even, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, but you're right. There's, there's sort of a thing you can unlock when you actually are passionate about a, a topic, then, you're going to be way better at it than if you're just doing it for someone else's reason. I'm totally with you. Um, you know, I grew up with a lot of great advice. And so it was tough for me to eventually at some point be like, what do I actually want to do? Mm -hmm. And am I doing this because I want someone else to be like, you're amazing or like, that's great. Or do I actually enjoy this? And I want to do this for fun, you know, hobbies, right. job, anything like that. Exactly. It's definitely those questions. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's for anything. It, and uh, it's kind of an easy concept when, when you hear it, but, you don't actually feel it until right. it clicks somehow. And for me, it clicked, uh, I don't know, uh, not in high school for sure. Yeah, when did it <laughs> click, is, if you were to find a, a point in time? Um, I would say like ooh, late 20s, early 30s. Like when you were starting to do those marketing projects or something like that? or uh, No, it was well into it. I mean, um, switching from biology to marketing was like a step towards it. Yeah. Um, but really understanding what it means to to live more authentically happened way later. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Cool advice. Well, I know you do a lot of coaching. Can you tell me about that? Because I think 
even what we're talking about now, even we've kind of gotten into the, the warm fuzzy stuff where um, <laughs> people might call it cliche, but actually it's the most important stuff. Um, yeah. It's just yeah. like what drives you and how you find happiness. So mm-hmm. what, what are the, co- what's the coaching you're doing now and, and how did you get into it? Yeah. So th- there are a few things. Um, my interest in psychology definitely persisted through, through life. I've been always interested in it. I go to workshops and retreats and I take classes, whether it's now online or before more physical um, education or physical location education. Um, But when I was in at at Google, it really fell into place for me because there's a big network for people who work at Google to support each other as coaches. Um, It's like a peer-to-peer, yeah, peer-to-peer coaching. You can get other help there too. There's classes in in that thing. And um, Google actually trains you if you're interested in it. So I was like, oh yeah, sign me up. I'd love to do that. And then you are allowed to officially spend the percentage of your time doing that. So I signed up because I was like, oh, this is great. This is like, this is perfect because it's, it's combining my interest in psychology with an ability to help people, which is another driver of mine. And um, I did that. And at the same or around the same time, I also signed up for like a, a program outside of Google, Coactive Coaching um, in, in Palo Alto, did that. Then I started going to very specific niche work, workshops like, um, for example, Hakomi, which is applying somatic psychology principles to like coaching or therapy or whatever else you want to apply it to. Mm. Um, And as I started doing that at Google, I also started using this app on my phone that's that you can sign up and and digitally coach people. Um, That was fine. And I just kind of naturally tend to talk people through their issues as as they arise, which is a good and a bad thing sometimes. (laughs) My husband is probably tired of me coaching him all the time, but, um, (laughs) did he sign up or did he, 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 no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, so now my job actually is coaching teams right Mm. or like coaching teams how to be more efficient how to solve their pain points how to connect with other teams and um at intuit we have this program where you can become an innovation catalyst which is essentially a coach for teams and any team can sign up for for coaching from an innovation catalyst and um we help each other that way too wow innovation catalyst what Mm -hmm. a cool name for it right yeah it, yeah. And so, I, you know, I could see, so you, so you sort of coach people on the personal level, as well as, you know, Intuit sounds pretty smart to have done this Google too, to where yeah. you might have some teams, they may be stuck in a routine, but they right. want to get out of it. And they're like, I don't know how, um, yeah. how do we do that yeah. without getting in fights? Let's bring right. in someone who can help us innovate, like, be a little mm-hmm. catalyst for it. They can exactly. do it, but then they'll get the fire started or something. Right. Wow. Neat. That sounds yeah. fun. It sounds like you're in a pretty darn fun position like you just mm-hmm. get to spark little wildfires all over the place yeah <laughs> <laughs> right yes Causing trouble. like do, do you in, do does it always work out or does it end up like because with change and growth it could be uncomfortable right so I, I wonder um is there ever like that kind of a uncomfortableness with it 
in the process or people just, I mean, what's it, what's it like to be sort of going to different groups and kind of pushing them? I mean, how far do you, can you push them before they? Yeah, there, you know, there are actually things you can do when you facilitate a discussion to Mm -hmm. address different scenarios, like somebody being very vocal during meeting and everybody else is quiet or not a lot of people are engaging and they and they should be or somebody feels very passionate about something how do you like bring them down to a calm yeah. level so um yeah as part of our our innovation catalyst training we learn how to deal with all those um situations so now i feel like there's there's nothing that would really make me uncomfortable especially as a facilitator i mean yeah. people try to make each other uncomfortable but that's why i'm there to help them <laughs> <laughs> deal with that <laughs> right you're, saying, you're good you you you've done this a few times enough to be you know many times really but you've done this so many times that you're not going to be bothered by someone acting on their emotions because they don't know how to do it um mm-hmm. and you've got this is cool you've got certain techniques and tactics and things you've already thought of and have already been sort of shared with your other catalysts to be able to go okay if chuck is super loud how do we get him to shut the hell up so somebody else can get a word, word in edgewise? I'm just thinking you, you push the tray of pastries over to him. You're like, here you go, man. Have it's one, one, of the, one of the things you can do for sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hey, here's some water, right? But yeah. in, the, in the virtual environment, it's a little bit a more little difficult. Harder. Just but, no, you just um, mute him. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if the worst comes, comes to Right, worst comes to worst. All right, yeah. you're on timeout. <laughs> yeah. Who else wants to say something? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Um, Wow. Any, any tips from the battlefields of innovation for people um, as they're in their own groups trying to do this? Um, bring, bring in you, bring in an innovation catalyst or any kind of suggestions on how they can do this themselves? Yeah, if they have a chance to bring someone who does this, I would say definitely do it, especially for critical points in time, like when you're deciding on a strategy and people are not aligning or if you if you faced some kind of a roadblock and you can't move forward past it, then bringing someone in externally who's not involved and invested into whatever the problem is, yeah, just by doing that, you're already helping. It doesn't even have to be a trained innovation catalyst. It could be any person. Bring your mom, you know, right. <laughs> who can sit there because everybody else is so emotionally invested that it becomes hard to see what's happening, right? Um, but to do it yourselves, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a framework that every problem could be solved with, and it's a, it's actually a coaching program that I've applied in almost every situation in life, and it's called Grow. Uh, it's like the, the very first thing you learn when you, when you get into coaching. It's you talk about the goal, then you research your current situation, you talk about options for how to bridge the gap, and then finally what you're willing to commit to of those options of how you're going to fix it. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, as you, as you start talking about the goal and, and the options of bridging that gap from where you are now to the goal, um, I would say always try to go as broad as you can and uh, as, you, as you're brainstorming those options. So um, something like if you had unlimited resources, time and, and, and everything, how would you solve this problem, right? Because those solutions might not work, but at least they they spark the minds and, and they get you going. And then you can be like, oh, actually, this would work, but what would work? And then something else happens and comes up. Right. I can totally tell it's a passion too, because you just light up when you're talking about it. Um, 
sounds like sounds really fun. And, and to your point, I, mean, I love the grow framework. While at the same time, I have always brought in um, an outside person for um, like quarterly meetings, strategy meetings, because that way I can be a part of them as opposed mm-hmm. to trying to facilitate exactly. and be in it. That you know, how right. do I shut myself up? I can't, and and so. Um, yeah, yeah I definitely, I've, I've definitely purposefully invited another innovation catalyst to my meetings that I, where, where I'm trying to solve something with the team, you know, nice. um, it definitely helps. Wow. What, what's a first step if someone was listening to this and wanted to get into coaching and they also have that passion that you do for helping other people out? Is there, would you point them at one program where you'd start? I know you've been in a lot of them. You've kind of sampled mm-hmm. all of them anything you'd recommend they they check out or go get trained in or certified on um i would say uh, first step would be to talk to people who are already coaches to to get their perspective and to really understand what it entails because there's a lot of misconceptions about what coaching is like somebody thinks like oh i'm gonna go hire a coach who's gonna go go and solve all of my problems (laughs) well that's not the case right (laughs) what 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 do they do if they don't solve they don't solve your problems. They <laughs> help you solve your own problems oh, okay, by, by unblocking yourself from yourself, basically, right. right? Interesting. So yeah, definitely talk to another coach and, mm-hmm. and get people's insights and hear their experiences and that kind of thing. Right, exactly. Awesome. Yeah, and then if you feel like still you're, you're into it and you're ready for it, then there are definitely multitude of programs some of them are um, certified some of them are not the certification is kind of weird because um, it's not regulated really right everyone um, has a cert but do you have any favorites yeah. like if there's a bunch of scammy ones out there are there any good ones yeah um i like i like two the most one is coactive uh institute and the other one is ipec i-p-e-c Okay. Nice. Nice. Well, on that note, how can people contact you? Where do you want them to reach out? What social sites, what URLs, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. So LinkedIn, just my first last name, Masha Finkelstein. Um, Twitter, Masha3003. And that's it. Perfect. There it is. Thank you so much for coming on here. This has been a blast. Yeah, it's been fun. You know, um, it, it's fun hearing your story and hearing your background, but also I could totally tell that coaching is it. So I, it's almost like I understand now when you mentioned marketing was a start to that change, but it's almost like once you did marketing and coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now you, exactly. You're really in the zone. Mm-hmm. For, For sure. sure. That was kind of like me marketing and then podcasting put me into like that place as well. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I can do this all day. No problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's whatever gets you in the flow. That's what you should stick with. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, this is fantastic. For those people listening, if you've learned something, and I freaking know you did, because I've got two pages of notes front and back, then share this with someone. One person, 98 people, 7,000 people, whatever. LinkedIn's a great platform for that, but don't just share it. Put what you learned at the beginning of it. Write down some takeaways. There's so many things to talk about the different campaigns, the different stories of successes, the intent data, the ideas around social good and local businesses. And um, man, so much good stuff in here. Masha, thank you so much for coming on here. 
I'll have to stay in touch and uh, have to stay in the loop and maybe learn some more coaching things from you in the future. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been, it's been a blast. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And for those listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.